you are listening to a premium preview episode of LuxPod. My name is Matt Perpetua. This episode features Sean T. Collins, who you heard with me just recently. Uh, we were talking about industrial music. We recorded another episode right after it. Just this one being more of a free-flowing conversation like we would normally have as human beings. We are, in fact, very good friends. So... Uh, yeah, this is just going to be a, a little snippet of the larger episode where we're just chatting. Uh, hope you enjoy it. If you like this and you want to hear the full episode and other full bonus episodes, you got to hit patreon.com slash fluxblog. $5 a month will get you four to five extra episodes per month. And they're all good. I make sure they're all good. High quality control over here. Anyway, here we go. Sean T. Collins. The thing that I always insist that that people need to understand that's hard to understand looking back about Nirvana and about the sort of hard rock lineage is that, um, to me at least, Guns N' Roses really did represent a break from the prevailing trends in hard rock. I mean, you had, you had actual metal, you had thrash, you had Metallica, but Guns N' Roses sounded and looked to me very, very different from Poison, Motley Crue, uh, Slaughter, Winger, Trickster, you know, all those bands that were around at the time, Warrant. Uh, what do you think was the core of that? Because I think part of it was just that they seemed actually like dangerous, yes. unhinged yes. people, whereas the others seemed like they were just playing. Right, that, and that's a big part of it, that they seemed legit. Like they... they like grimy, like real grimy. Right. I, I think like it, it's like the, it's the authenticity, yeah, thing, right? Because yeah. like when you enter into the early 90s, like everybody has like this real authentic quality to them one way or another. Right. And that is like the most prized thing of the nineties and of of Gen X as a generation is the obsession with authenticity and being like, you know, presenting your, and yeah, and it's like that kind of edginess and griminess and, you know, which is Guns N' Roses really is like this bridge between these, these two eras because Guns N' Roses is also a band though. I think that that makes them different from a lot of those other bands is they really are obsessed with classic rock. Like they really are synthesizing, you know, all all the all the rock opera stuff. They're synthesizing Queen. They're synthesizing Elton John. Uh, like they're covering. Uh, they they make their references very known, but in the in the covers, you know, with like Bob Dylan and uh, Paul McCartney, yeah. and you know, like and then all the punk bands. Like uh, it's funny because that's the thing that I think uh, in some ways very similar to Nirvana, where like both of these bands were very. Uh, transparent about where they're coming from right. and like what made them what they are. Well, that's what I you, you, as, even as sweet generally as both of those bands kind of are. That's what I was getting at. That like I think nowadays it's clear that Axl Rose was the John the Baptist to Kurt Cobain's Jesus Christ. You know, like he presaged a lot of the. You know, it's it's Guns N' Roses were so goddamn big. That's another thing that's difficult to convey to people that they were the yeah. biggest band in the world. They were so big, 
Um, and just and the way they kind of existed in pop culture was just so enormous. Yeah. It was like, and I think like you know, and then a couple of years later, like I think Nirvana and Pearl Jam occupied that space of just like, you know, the the level, like the amount of space a thing like Taylor Swift takes up now is what Guns N' Roses and Pearl Jam were like in their moments. Yeah, yeah man, Axel was like uh, Axel was like the male Madonna. Like it just every utterance, every movie made every appearance like yeah like the ultimate mtv male yes yeah he was where she was the ultimate mtv woman yeah. that's i think that's accurate yeah and this he just had like the the perfect image he was uh he was cute but like not like too cute and uh you know and he he definitely had like kind of proto kanye things where he would just uh go into like long long like monologues on stage i was watching this one uh video from the use your illusion tour that's on youtube uh, a few months ago and it's uh like maybe three songs into the set he just does like a 15 minute monologue where the, the rest of the band is like waiting around to play the next song. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's, that's insane. <laughs> Especially for a person who had a reputation for like a getting on stage late. Right. Yeah. Causing riots and shit. Like, I think a, it's funny. Cause like, you know, like I think in the past, you know, 10, 15 years, there is this idea like the rock star as this kind of like and people, I think, especially as it comes up in rap and, uh, you know, rap like music or like uh, Post Malone, mm-hmm. etc. Um, I think like when people talk about rock star, I think they really just mean Axl Rose. Like, I don't, I'm not even sure if they're even reaching back to Led Zeppelin. I think every conception of what a rock star is today is basically just axel rose maybe guns and roses in full but really axel rose is the thing that anyone is talking about yeah definitely tantrums and booze and models models and like it's the the whole thing he lived the whole thing like he he really had the outlaw thing the, the 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 outrageous artistic ambition thing uh, he's dangerous, you know, you know, like he's projecting a really raw sexuality. He lived the gimmick, as we say in the pro wrestling biz. He lived the gimmick. I get up around seven. Get out of bed around nine. And I don't worry about nothing, no, because one's a waste of my fucking time. Just 
yeah that that that, that it's funny like how much of this stuff connects to wrestling like if, if you're doing like if you're if you're making yourself a real character it really is connecting to like the essential if you kind of like i, I don't know, like you call it like wrestling theory you know right <laughs> it's true though that shit's so valuable for understanding a lot of this stuff or at least talking about it yeah, I you know it's funny because like I think so you have a one end like wrestle call it wrestling theory, and then like the stuff that I was basically indoctrinated in with with that BuzzFeed, which was the uh, uh, cultural cartography stuff of like oh why do people share things? Why do people connect with things? And I think if you kind of look at if if you digest both of those ideas, like seventy five percent of pop culture becomes very quite apparent to you, like what it is. Mm-hmm. Like all the moves are right there. It's, I think it's, you know, I've never, uh, I, I, sometimes I wish I had uh, a full understanding of music theory. I have an abstract understanding of it, but I've never really been a musician. Right. Um, but, you know, I think understanding music theory on like a really deep level, uh, I'm not, I think in, in some ways that probably hurts your appreciation of a lot of music, although it might enhance some other things. But yeah, that's that's me with the cultural cartography stuff for sure. So what? So what's the lay of the land for Guns and Roses in that respect then? <sighs> Guns and well, I think it's kind of the gun. They, they kind of go hand in hand there, right? Because it's the idea of like you buy into Guns and Roses because you identify with uh, this kind of badass thing. You want to be perceived as such in some way, shape, or form. Um, you know, it's probably not that different from how people relate to Rihanna, where the, the, the way people relate to Rihanna, I think especially at least uh, women, is the idea of like, she's the bad bitch, and I wish I could be the bad bitch. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you're maybe you identify with her in some degree, but it's really more of an aspirational identity. Like you want to somehow be like Rihanna or you want to like know Rihanna and have her be the friend, you know, who kind of unlocks something in you. I think Axl Rose and Guns N' Roses have similar effects. Like I don't, I'm not even sure if you necessarily want to know Axl Rose, but I think you want to embody Axl Rose in some way. Yeah, he seemed like a very difficult person. Like he, I yeah. were under the impression that Axl Rose would be my friend or... Yeah, but but I think you think about the utility of Guns N' Roses. Like, what? Is, like, where do you hear Guns N' Roses? Well, any any dive bar anywhere in the United States and probably anywhere else too. Yep. Like, it is the it is the dive bar music. Like, more than I think that. Like, what else would be on the same level? Like ACDC, like kind of covering a similar zone. Um, you know, even with Axl Rose subbing in for ACDC yeah, yeah. Like in the more recent past. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that's the thing with uh, it's 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 projecting like a, a vibe and an image and aspirational lifestyle. Like Appetite for Destruction is kind of like this design for life if you're a particular kind of rock person. It's the whole and, template of, of what a rocker looks like. Quote unquote, mm-hmm. you know, because I was talking about this also in the context of the Lost Boys, the vampire film that Joe Schumacher made in the late 80s, because because um, the, the, the vampires in that film had this strange California style that was like this hodgepodge 
of goth and punk and metal stuff. And, you know, they seem, they just seem to me to be, their influences were all from, were from all over the place, but, you know, it's sort of the same kind of vibe as Guns N' Roses, like that's sort of decadent sunset strip. Um, but like with a real, like, like these are the people who get thrown out of the bars, you know? Yeah. What to you is the essential difference between the aesthetics of Guns N' Roses and the aesthetics of grunge? Because it's really like one step over. I think I think maybe the most obvious thing is like the pomp of uh, Guns N' Roses. But if you kind of like don't even talk about that, like what what separates him from Kurt Cobain and from Chris Cornell? Um, the lyrics are more direct. I think with Guns N' Roses, it's easier to tell what the songs are about. Um, there is the clothing is a bigger deal, like dressing like a metal person. Um, As opposed to Chris Cornell is not wearing a shirt. Right, right. They just kind of gave up on clothing. <laughs> you know, um, and I think it's uh, not as edgy sexually as Guns N' Roses was. Or maybe it's just in different ways. Like, cause I think Chris Cornell, like, proje- see, I think Chris Cornell projects sexuality in his appearance, but not as much in the music itself. Yeah. I mean, when they did that, it was, you know, it was like a, they did big dumb sex, you know, which is like, right. Which is kind of like making fun of it. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the maybe like one of the key differences, like the key, like the, the thing that Guns N' Roses has that the grunge fans don't is this connection to like the more, uh, theatrical elements of classic rock, the seventies rock canon. And the thing that the grunge people have, you know, uh, especially like the big five, you know, like uh, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, and I guess Stuntable Pilots. Um, there's like an element of depression that is just like so heavy in all of that music. And I don't really think that depression is really like a, a major mood in uh, Guns N' Roses. Like, I think it's depression manifests itself maybe differently in those records, like where it is more like a, it maybe comes out more angry or it comes out more petulant. Yeah. I mean, with Axel, you found out like Axel wrote a song where he listed people at magazines that had pissed him off. Axel really does have like more of a rapper quality to him. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know what else it is? I think it's coming from LA and I think it's showbiz. There's an element of showbiz to Guns N' Roses, even as much even as much as they did seem like a break from hair metal, there's still like There's still LA to the core. Yeah, yeah. And that's not present with uh, it's uh, it's there for Stone Temple Pilots a bit. Which makes sense. well, they're, they're, but they're San Diego, you know, and, and Eddie Vedder is also from San Diego, and I feel like they're just more like connected to like the beach uh-huh. in this kind of way, you know, Eddie Vedder being a surfer, and I feel like it's more like that kind of Southern California thing, or it's probably connected more to like Coop, you know, we mentioned Coop yeah. uh, in the other podcast, um, 
I think like the as far as I can tell, not being a person from California, the, the difference between like San Diego and L.A. is like substantial, but not I, I think it's kind of like the difference between being from Brooklyn versus being from like mid New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I think you can see it. Narcissism of small differences, but, you know, right. So it, they're still the differences are still there. And Guns N' Roses and Stone Temple Pilots eventually became the same band. So. Yes, they did. That's a good point. <laughs> oh, God. I love the idea that the guys in Guns N' Roses were like, we need a stable front. <laughs> who do we, who could we reach out to? <laughs> and they found Scott Weiland, who turned out to be tremendously less uh, grounded than Axl Rose. Oh, man. Oh God! Slash knows how to pick them. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I imagine Slash was like, you know, reaching out to like, oh God, like, uh, like Juice World. Like, hey, do you want to like do? Oh God, Juice World died too early. You know, like a lot of like those kind of guys. Mm. Just like who? Like yeah, just like a, a little peep. There's a, a lot of these guys who are we like the the, the Gen Z versions of this. Let's make this one reach the heavens! 